Greetings, cyberspace, and welcome to episode 76 of the Double Density Podcast with your hosts, Brian and Angelo. Double Density, your home to tech tales and paranormal primers. Now, first things first, Angelo, tonight we are very fortunate to have a very special guest, uh, Zach Zaiji of The Menu Bar. Hi, Zach. Hello. How's it going? It's not bad. We're excited. It's, it's going to be a, a fun show tonight. I'm, I'm really excited to be on this show because... You know, I do, I do kind of like a technology show and occasionally we veer off into, into the, into the strange, but I feel like here it's like, wow, I can do like no holds barred. No, you oh, can yeah. do yourself. I actually yeah. have a whole intro written up for you. If that's okay. If I could read this in my best radio voice. Fantastic. Let's, let's hear it. <laughs> let's hear it. All right. So Zach Zaichi is a co-host of the Menu Bar podcast. Obsensively, the Menu Bar, co-hosted by Andrew J. Clark, is a podcast about tech news and topics. But the genius behind the podcast is that the duo use tech as a framing device to explore deeper topics. And most episodes will start on point A and, you know, by the end, through a logical series of threads, we'll end up on point K or point L. Whether it's the two alone or with great guests like creative genius Rob Sheridan, Daring Fireball's John Gruber, or Federico Vidici of Mac Stories fame, you can bet on ending up with more food for thought at the end of each episode. Now, that's the most... Uh, sort of formal thing we're going to do tonight, I feel like. <laughs> <laughs> that's the most formal I've ever heard Brian at all. So, wow. That, that, that's a good, uh, that's a good summary, I feel like, of, of what we do. You know, just uh, we're always, we're always just pulling whatever crazy threads we come up with. Um, Andrew and I are, are both relatively, um, strange individuals who, <laughs> Uh, you know, we started as having this intense interest in Apple. And over the years, that's still there, but it's kind of almost like background noise. Um, whereas what's in the forefront of our minds is like big issues going on in tech or aliens or <laughs> whatever, whatever random uh, things that we, you know, whatever strings we happen to pull. I feel like the best podcast, apart from just talking, also include like, like, for lack of a better term, like bonus content, almost like the idea of like a takeaway. And I feel like one of the the better parts of every episode I listen to of yours, there's always that takeaway part where I, I'm taking something and thinking about it, like either, whether it be like a concept or an idea or something that someone has said. And I feel like those are the best kinds of podcasts because there's that added value. Instead of just talking about news of the day, it's how does it affect you? And then like towards the end line, it's like how uh, we as society or humanity kind of deal with different concepts or ideas. Totally. I mean, the my whole inspiration for starting the menu bar back up was basically looking around at the technology space and starting to kind of realize that everybody's kind of just having the same kind of conversations about the same stuff. And I just think it's a really fun idea to be able to take something that, that people are they're interested in, like Apple or technology or whatever, and kind of lure people in and just kind of like you know, give them a different way of thinking about that thing or, you know, uh, sprinkle in some of our of my own like personal interests and stuff. You know, I, I feel like there's such a the the Internet is so, uh, you know, built on algorithms at this point that sort of like predict what you want. And you sort of, you know, you sort of uh, go and grab a few things and then you get more of that and you're going to get nothing but an abundance of of that stuff. So, you know, and I, lo I love the idea of breaking rules. I really like the idea of, you know, um, giving people things that they don't quite expect, you know. And actually, it, come, it comes from, you know, um, my love of Apple, actually. Like, you know, people, it, it goes back to, you know, what Steve Jobs used to say, people don't really know what they want. You kind of have to give them, you, you have to counter-program a little bit against what right. it is that people think they want. 
You know, they, they think they want a faster horse. Actually, they want to talk about aliens. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that's the thing I like so much about the menu bar. When I, I, I approached it first based on your guests and saying, hey, they have some good tech guests on here. And mm. then when I heard it, you go from one thing to another. And it's such a, 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 a breath of fresh air in terms of what's out there with tech. Because you're right. A lot of the same things get repeated over and over and over again. And uh, we try not to fall into that trap. We we try to approach different types of topics too sometimes. But you guys really nail it. And, and the vast uh, types of guests you have on really bring that too. And it's going to get crazier. I mean, every... <laughs> <laughs> Hold on to your butts. Like we, we, we um, I just, I'm very tenacious when it comes to getting guests and like, and there's a whole list of people that I could go and get, but I try my very best to go and get guests that are, you know, like, like Rob Sheridan, right? Like for, um, who used to be the art, art director of Nine Inch Nails. Um, like I've been a fan of Rob for a very, very long time and like nobody's asked him to be on a tech podcast and I'm just sitting right. there like, but why? Like this guy <laughs> has worked with technology for so long and he, you know, worked with Beats Music. Like, gosh, there's so many angles to how you could have Rob Sheridan on a tech podcast. So I'm like, I'm going to get Rob Sheridan on a tech podcast. So I feel, uh, so I feel like you and I are about the same age. I'm 32. 33. So that episode really spoke to me because I came of age during the with teeth era, right? So like trend had disappeared for a while. Totally. And then when you finally come back and then like with year zero, it was like, it was like with teeth amplified. And whenever I think of, of year zero, I always think of the, do you remember the My Violent Hurt, the spectrograph that they had like hidden that weird hand thing in? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm, and so like yeah. it was like my wallpaper for a while and it was very emblematic. And with your conversation with him, it was very interesting because you were jumping from notions of things to the underlying theme of things. And I thought that was really interesting that kind of interplay in between like this is something that we did and this is how we did it, but also like the idea of like concepts. And at one point you were talking about how everything on the internet is so clean. Like I so agree mm -hmm. with that. And it was kind of interesting to see sort of how um you took a guess that could be very by the numbers, but you took it in very different and interesting directions. Yeah, um, yeah, no, uh, yeah, the, well, so <laughs> Year Zero, Year Zero was just such an impactful album on me, because it was sort of, uh, it was everything, it was like, it was this experience, it was a way you could get involved in an album, right, and it was like, it was... Uh, on the sh on the episode i think i compared it to like the blair witch project like to yeah. me it's like there was the blair witch project and then i would jump straight to year zero in terms of things on the internet that just had a really big impact on me um it felt it didn't i knew like it wasn't real right i knew this was something that nine inch nails were up to but it was so good it was so it was so interesting and they dropped legitimately curious things like <laughs> like that the you know the sound wave thing where there's this picture of this hand if you if you investigate it and it's kind of funny when you say that though because i feel like it's all it's almost like uh the way you described it as kind of like our belief in the paranormal because angela and i are by are by nature sort of skeptical but we're willing to believe and to play along with certain things and sort of, of totally. agree with things because like we understand like the rules of the game almost so i feel like it's sort of similar in that vein totally yeah, I'm I'm actually like a huge skeptic of the paranormal. Like I'm not I don't believe any of it, frankly. <laughs> um, but but I love listening to Stephen Greer go on for a fucking hour about <laughs> the Atacama mummy or whatever, right? Uh, yeah. Uh. 
Yeah, this is it brings up a good point. Is something I discovered a few months ago when we we had like started talking online. Is how similar you and Brian are. It's it's frighteningly so. It's you guys are so similar. You like the same stuff. You like the same movies, and it's it's shocking to me. Right. It's like this weird kindred spirit thing. Yeah. I I, I think I was telling Brian how I think this is sort of part of the simulation we all live in. Is however <laughs> is controlling your two characters like built a similar spec sheet. Just pick the different skin. I mean, what would Andrew say? Andrew would say um, that there is no self and uh, that we, oh. no one no one is real and it's all just sort of an illusion and there's no free will. And, and <laughs> oh, I love Andrew sometimes. <laughs> right. He's such a pain in the ass and I, I love him to death. Um, but yeah, no, it, it, it's, it's super cool. I, the, you know, this is what's great about Twitter. Um, I mean, there's lots of horrible things about Twitter, right? Yes. And yeah. Like, you know, oh, it's a garbage site and oh, it's toxic and all this stuff. But um, all of the people that I've met and everything going on and on in my life currently is kind of thanks to Twitter. So I have this interesting kind of love-hate um, dichotomous relationship with Twitter. But that's the thing with Twitter because it can drive you mad sometimes. Totally. Uh, I, I can't look at certain things. Like we're a bit sheltered here in Canada from the stuff that's happening in the U.S., but we still see it and we still see... Uh, the tweets that come from your president, and it blows our minds. Yeah, I'm so sorry. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's okay. There, look, you're half, halfway to being Canadian by saying sorry. So it, it's, it, it can make people really upset, but there is some good. Like, look, we would never be having this conversation unless I had approached you on Twitter by saying, hey, Zach, would you be interested in being on the podcast? Because you seem to have like similar things. I remember you saying once uh, somebody had asked you what what this what we were and you're like, well, uh, it's like the menu bar but half of it is is uh, the, the weird stuff. And that's about right. right. We right. we talk about tech and half of the show is about weird stuff. You guys you guys might have actually inspired me a little bit cuz it made me realize I could go way weirder with this yes. show. <laughs> like, yes, please. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Right? Yeah. Um, no, you guys, you guys have a really cool show. I, I really dig the the concept, the premise, and the fact that you guys just kind of put it on the table and you're just like, screw it, let's just do it. It's half <laughs> Apple, half aliens. <laughs> it's fine. This is the internet. Welcome to it. You know? Yeah, we've been going into a lot of video games lately too because I got a Switch recently. So Ooh. that's been uh, yeah. That's, Speaking uh, of uh, reverse engineered alien technology. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> The aliens have to have fun, too. Yeah. I, I mean, USB-C is definitely reverse-engineered alien technology, Yeah, of course. Right? There's, it can there's, only be one way, right? So <laughs> There's only only one possibility here. Uh, no, yeah, Switch is great. I, it's great to see Nintendo finally, you know, kicking ass and taking names again. Um, and I liked the Wii U, so yeah, you can imagine I'll, how I feel about the Switch. Anyone who was a, like a Nintendo fan, like a real Nintendo fan, yeah. like liked the Wii U, but we were all in a state of sadness yes, during I, the time of Wii U because we're like, yes. it's so good, but like it's a marketing know. disaster. Yeah, it was a marketing disaster. People, you know, people were walking into stores thinking like, what the heck even is this? I you know, I already have a Wii. I've got Wii Fit. I'm good. Like I don't really need anything else. They thought the thing was just like an accessory for their Wii with the way that it was marketed. And it seems like such an obvious thing. Like, and, and they could have fixed it early on, but they, 
they didn't. <laughs> they wrote it out. They're stubborn. They're a very stubborn company. That's why we love Nintendo. Yeah, um, I, I, I'm very happy with it now. And uh, yeah. I, I was playing on the train today. Like it's just you know the the train ride went by so quickly because I was farming in Stardew Valley. I love how you're dragging Zach into video game talk. Like even though it's not <laughs> on the docket, you're just like let's just do this anyways because it's video game season. So <laughs> thanks, Angelo. I mean, I, I'm I'm a big I'm a Nintendo super fan. So you know whatever. It right at home. I'm, here. I'm just I'm I'm just happy to see them back, kind of back on top a little bit. Like they, they, nobody can compete with them in the market they're in. You know, oh for sure. I mean, the thing is, like when you start talking about IPs, like who else do you have? Like Master Chief from Halo, and then like on the PlayStation, they don't really have any proprietary, uh, you know, Sony uh, properties really, right? So I think that like uh, powerful nostalgia plus really great games will win over a large core of your fan base, even if they're skeptical initially. It's the nostalgia actually, because Sony has some good properties like Uncharted and things like that, but. The nostalgia of Mario, it's just, it's so hard to beat. But then it's also like what the product is. It's such a well-positioned product for Nintendo and their history. Uh, You know, Nintendo has what's famously called like this blue ocean strategy, which is like, you know, everything else is sort of red ocean. Uh, You know, the fish are, are getting killed over there. Uh, we, we know what that looks like, but what about this blue ocean over here? Like nobody's over there. And so Nintendo tends to go places where nobody else can follow. And the interesting thing about the switch is like, you know, Sony can't really do it because they, uh, their bread and butter is power. You can't really do the most powerful system as a portable system. Uh, they, and and then they, they can't really compete by doing a portable system at all because it can never be their primary platform. Nintendo's in this interesting position where they can have a portable platform be their primary platform. Doesn't have to be as powerful as everything else. Like, and it's something no one else, no one else can really go there. And I think beyond that, it's very experiential, right? Like you can take it with you. What is greater than that? Totally. Okay, Ryan, no, no more video game talk. No more video games, thank you. <laughs> we'll get back to our brand bar because I know that Angelo is like itching sort of to talk about the iPhone and your thoughts about the keynote. So I was in Hawaii when the keynote happened. And um, well, that morning I, I woke up and like the keynote had already gone in by like 40 minutes or something like that. And uh, and then I think by the time Andrew woke up, like <laughs> the the keynote was just over. He's he's like, "What I miss?" I'm like, "Well, there's new iPhones, <laughs> you know." Uh, but yeah, no, I I watched the keynote. I have digested the information, so to speak, and um, I think it's all good stuff. I don't I don't have a ton to say about any of it though. Like so, like you'll notice I've been pretty quiet on Twitter about about most tech things in general um up until yesterday we might yeah. get to that <laughs> which we'll get into yeah <laughs> yeah but uh i mean these are just really great updates to the iphone and i can um you know the, the the most interesting thing i guess as far as their positioning is the fact that they've kind of upped the price on the iphone uh and you've got the you got the iPhone XR, you got the iPhone uh, X, you got the I, I'm just gonna say X because fuck yeah, it. go for yeah, it. Uh, <laughs> we've had the same <clears throat> argument, so right, yeah, and the, and they uh, the the what the XS Max, whatever. Anyway, um, and you know, um, it all makes sense. I don't really have anything to say about it other than all of the positioning makes perfect sense to me. Um, right. But beyond that, though, in terms of of a long term strategy, like I feel like it's a law of diminishing returns at this point because what like and Angela and I were joking about this, like, are you really going to get an iPhone 37 down the line, right? Like, and I feel like they need to sort of rethink 
um, how they're labeling and how they're they're packaging and promoting mm. their different products. Um, I have a lot of thoughts phones. about this. I actually okay. have some th- some thoughts about this. So something that people complain a lot about is the naming schemes of the iPhone. Um, and here's my whole thing: it doesn't matter at all. Like not even even not even a little bit. And, and they th- when they uh, name products, especially when you're talking about a portfolio of products. It's extremely hard to come up with a way to differentiate them. Uh, a really good example is, of this is if you just walk into any given Target store and you say to the <clears throat> say to the Target worker, "Hey, I want to get an iPad," right? And and you say, "I don't know anything about iPads, but I want to get an iPad." And you ask them like, "What is the difference between these?" And they have no idea where to begin, right? Right. Um, it's super hard to come up with ways to differentiate things on the market. Um, and like, there's just only, only so many ways you can name things. Like, what would be the better way, you know, to, to, to differentiate these products? How do you, like, if, if you were in charge at Apple right now and uh, you were in charge of, of naming these three new phones, what, what would it look like? I feel like I'd go after your model so that, you know, the 2018 or the 2019. Mm. Mm. like they do with the macbooks yeah and it would just be like small and large and yeah yeah exactly yeah (laughs) right because i i just feel like and and we've talked about this um in prior episodes it's i just feel like someone who hears 36 or 37 or even like a 22 like they're it doesn't mean anything to them at the end of the day right um and i think that like that sort of no matter how good the phone itself is i feel like people's eyes will glaze over once you hit the larger digits right and there's kind of like the weird same theory um in comic books for example like you see reboots happen all of the time these days like marvel's reset their universe like three times in five years or something because like newer numbering schemes work for people yeah um yeah i you know i i agree ish this is one of these things where i'm willing to one i don't i don't personally care that much in other like what i mean is like it's not going to stop me from buying the phone if it's called the iPhone 10s oh, yeah, Max, for sure. right? <laughs> yeah, no, no. Like, yeah. it's not going to, that's not going to stop me. The price point might stop me. Yeah. But the name of the damn thing isn't going to stop me. And it wouldn't, it wasn't going to be the thing that was going to push me over the edge to buying the device. So, like, and, and it's, it's one of these things where I sort of relinquish to Apple marketing and say, they're probably smarter than me. They probably have reasons that go beyond things that I can, I'm even, you know, remotely thinking about. You think about the scale that Apple operates at and you think about the number of markets that they enter into. Uh, and it's like armchair Twitter discussions about how they name their phones is like, you know, who cares? You know what I mean? <laughs> like, <laughs> Of all the things that get caught up in, this feels like the like the least interesting angle. Um, you know, it's kind of fun to talk about on a podcast, and plenty of people have. Oh, for sure. It's it's just yeah they they probably agonize over this. I can tell you without a doubt they do. They like you know I t- I've I talk to people who work at Apple and like they anything that you think you know is just something that they brushed aside like believe me they agonized over that oh yeah you know and it's 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 difficult to name things uh you know and it's hard it's hard to differentiate things when you when you're going to all these different carriers and all these different countries and and all this stuff um so you know i would just say it's a hard problem well look at look at what happened when they named the ipad everyone totally. thought it was the silliest name ever but it worked. It still right. works. 
Yeah. And I'm I'm wondering if they're going to end up doing what they did with the iPad, right? With the with the iPhones where they got rid of the numbering. It's iPad and iPad Pro and the iPad Pro has two sizes. And that's what I'm wondering if they're going to end up doing with the iPhone just to simplify things. But I agree with you. The name, yeah, 10S is a mouthful to say, like 10S Max, XS Max, XR. We don't know what, like, that's the thing. Most of my friends don't know the difference between a 10 or an, sure. an X or whatever. It doesn't matter. I want the newest iPhone. They're going to walk into totally. store, I want the newest iPhone, or I want the cheaper iPhone, or I want last year's model, give it to me on the, on, on a discount or whatever. That's yeah. what people are going to do. And, uh, you know, they might as well just call it the iPhone, if anything. But I'm sure they've thought of that. Like you said, they've thought of all these things. Mm, yep. Yeah, I mean, they. I, I guarantee they've had meetings where they've just, you know, been like, well, we'll just call it the iPhone. We'll call the new one the new one. But it gets really, co- like, it gets <laughs> yeah. more and more complicated the more that you think about it. So here, here's an example. Um, so the, the narrative, the story that everybody's telling right now is that Apple upped the price on the iPhone and it's now more expensive. Now that's true, but there's a lot of other things that are also true that don't, get like told in that story you know the number one thing is like gray gray market phones uh used phones all these alternative channels that phones go through right and all these uh, devices that um apple still sells they don't necessarily sell them on their website but they're still being manufactured like you got iphone 6s is still being manufactured at certain capacities for different markets you don't hear about that stuff. And and part of that is Apple's trying to kind of protect their brand by not making a big deal about their old devices that they're selling through other channels. They try to maintain a, a certain um, a certain look, we'll say, right? Well, I mean, a perfect example of what you're speaking about is the iPod Touch, right? Like they still produce it. It's still on their website, but you never right. hear about it. Right, exactly. And well, and that's a thing where they, they, yeah, I, I don't know what's going on with the iPod touch. I would say it's, it's, <laughs> it, it looks as if it's not long for this world. I mean, so it's gotten to this point where you can just go buy, you know, an iPhone. Oh, I guess it used to be the SE. Now that's not being manufactured. So now I guess it's going to be like iPhone six or iPhone six S. You can walk into a Target and you can buy a prepaid one for somewhere in the vicinity of 150 to $200. So it's like, well, why the heck are we even bothering with the iPod Touch at this point, right? Yeah, it's a it's a very good point to make. Yeah, I just I'm very curious to see where that goes because yeah, it's just one of these things that is kind of lingering right now. Yeah, no, totally. And but again, it gets into this stuff where it's like there's there's all these different ways that phones get sold, but you don't you only hear about the way that the newest phones are sold, right? You don't hear about the rest of this stuff, and like that's one reason why you have to have a whole bunch of different names for the SKUs and all 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 this all this craziness and then obviously phones are sold very different worldwide um and they do very specific things for different spe- for very specific locations and you know there's just there's a lot that goes into this stuff and <clears throat> like the yeah, the other the price went up i guess by what how much how, how much more expensive is it for an iphone now to, to just it's to, 100 bucks more than it was yeah. for the last round yeah, and it, they make it the the 10R is uh, the quote unquote cheap phone, but that's is the that's the price an iPhone Plus was a few yeah. years ago. Well, it's also two hundred and fifty dollars less than the iPhone 10 that you exactly. know came out last year. So it's like you're actually kind of getting a discount on the best phone from last year, and it's and it's a better phone, a way better phone than than the best one that came out last year. So yeah, 
there's again like there's different ways to think about this stuff and and one of the things that can drive me crazy on 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 twitter or listening to people's podcasts or or whatever is people tend to make this stuff that is like inherently gray inherently um complicated uh they try to make it binary and they try to make it's like it's not it just isn't <laughs> it's it's really complicated stuff uh when you talk about the, the just the insane things that that go into apple products the amount they have to ship you know and, and just all this all this stuff and economic things that are going on, on behind the scenes right now we got this tariff stuff going on and like yeah you know there's all sorts of reasons for why they they may have done that right and realistically because of the way that phones are sold now this isn't gonna like hit people that freaking hard right it's gonna your the price of your phone is gonna go up by a couple bucks or something right <laughs> a, a month if you're on like something like an iphone upgrade program yeah and, and the other thing people seem to forget sometimes is you're right the quantities apple has to ship of these things totally uh, you know people talk about samsung being a competitor to apple and stuff but their flagship phones don't even come close to the amount that iPhones ship. Right. Like the how many notes get sold in a year compared to uh, an iPhone uh, 10 or an iPhone 8 or a plus or now the max and stuff like that It doesn't even come close. Yeah. I mean, the grand total, if you took all of the phones that Samsung sells, I'm sure that it would come up to something similar. But and no individual SKU that, that Samsung sells comes anywhere near the quantities that Apple has to move of their phones. Um, and that's something to keep in mind, too, when it comes to, like, really basic stuff. Like, you know, what camera did they put in there? Well, it's not, like, just what camera they had to put in there, but also, like, what camera could they get a hundred million of? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? Like, it's really, really super complicated stuff. And when you actually start thinking about, about it that way, it's a miracle every time they release one of these things. You know? I know they're the most, they're most rich company in the planet, but, like, they... <clears throat> it doesn't make this stuff any, any easier, really. I mean, it's easier for them than anyone else, but it's still really, really complicated stuff. And that leads to a very good point, too, about their exacting safety and sort of like general standards are much more elevated. And people uh, have this perception of them being the much more stable product. Right. So while uh, a large amount of phones on, you know, Android or whatever can get released and people tend to forgive flaws more than any other single Apple product. Right. Oh, yeah. Apple can't make a mistake without people calling it the next gate of whatever kind. Are we, right? are we, are, oh, can we talk We're about doing the keyboard? Let's this. talk about the keyboard. We're you want to talk about the keyboard? <laughs> <laughs> we, we did at least two episodes about the keyboard. <laughs> oh, man. That keyboard. <laughs> yeah, I think we did three or four weeks like straight where we mentioned it as an item. So it's definitely like on our minds, too. And the, the weird part is like the positioning of like Apple sort of uh, not outright saying that it was uh, an issue, but more so to make it totally uh, better for the user. Yeah. Um it's one of these things that when the menu bar, when we when we restarted the show, we were really hard on this uh, early on. And the, the reason we were super hard on it is because I kind of had this belief of like, you know, taking power and like ho holding its feet to the fire a little bit. Right. And this seemed like an, a really big issue. Uh, every time I went on Twitter, every pro user was telling me about how their freaking keyboard broke and how they had to pay all this money. <laughs> You know, and it seemed really, really bad. But like now I have one of these. I have the 2017 um, MacBook Pro 
and it's 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 not the one that has the 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 new men membrane or whatever that fixes it right um and i've had no issues with my keyboard now i'm not saying and i'm not i'm not like a big enough sample size to come to any conclusion about that so anyway um (laughs) but you know I kind of believe Apple when they say that the issue is not as big as what it was blown up to be. Um, well, I think that, like a lot of signals were amplified in terms of users complaining, right? In terms of totally uh, total issues encountered. I think it is minor in nature, but a lot of of I don't want to say like power users, but people who definitely have uh, bigger voices uh, sort of harnessed that issue and made it bigger. Totally, than it was, and I think you're right. And again, anything Apple does wrong gets amplified because it gets clicks. So when it was a situation where, uh, even if it were like only a few users that this happened to, uh, when it was a situation that one key on your freaking keyboard would break, and you take it to the Apple Store, and they tell you it's going to be like seven hundred fifty bucks to to get your <laughs> to get your laptop fixed over a single key, that was um, such bullshit that like that that was kind of what caused me to go off on the thing. Um, but once, once they came around to like, we're going to start fixing these for free and we're not going to do that to people anymore. Um, and then I, then, and started to like, look at the numbers and looking at like how many people this seems to actually be affecting. I kind of don't think it's that big a deal anymore. Um, they kind now, now it is good that people were, you know, on fire about this at one point because it caused them to have to do something. They had to address it in some way. Um, so they did this kind of, you know, way of admitting it, but not admitting it type thing where they, ah, some laptops have the issue and if you bring it in, we'll fix it. <laughs> well, know? I know this is like an extreme example, but it's like this versus like a note seven exploding. I think I'll take the, the keyboard. Right. Well, and this is something, um, that I was, I was getting into on, uh, on Twitter in the last couple of days. Yes. Just like, I'm so, so happy to talk about this. Let's do this. Yeah. So Microsoft did their surface event. Right. And it's like. You know, there's a, there's this, mm, there, there's a desire right now to talk a lot about how Apple has lost its way and how other companies are, you know, picking up the baton and they're, they're the new innovators and like, okay, not, it's extremely frustrating for me because uh, it's not true and it just requires like a little bit of critical thinking to get there. I understand the attraction to the narrative, but it doesn't really map to reality right now. And like, like, so like surface failure rates are not good. Like no. I, I know this from talking to repair people and, and whatever, like, um, and, and there were, there was a consumer reports thing that came out in 2017, basically saying like, yeah, surface isn't so great. And then they came out, I think, a year later saying uh, they, they've really improved, but really it's kind of just on par with other laptops. And what people don't understand is that Apple's uh, you know track record here is actually really superb. Um, mm-hmm. So like the, like if you, let's just you take the small percentage of people that have had this keyboard issue, you notice you're not hearing a lot about any other issues, right? You're nope. not hearing like the batteries exploding. You're not hearing the screens are shipping, uh, you know, in a weird color or some some bizarre thing like that. You're not hearing all this stuff. But you go and look at any other laptop on the entire market, and I promise you, they are having an average rate of uh, you know, higher failure. You know, well, but you don't. So I think like, the perfect example is this. I'm actually currently using a mid 2012 MacBook Pro. Okay, like yeah, and it works just as well as the day I got it. Totally, yeah. And Apple's uh, standards are still 
freaking amazing relative to the rest of the industry. So then, but then Microsoft holds an event and it's like, here's some really eccentric designs <laughs> for computers. <laughs> and this, this is the way I describe it. Uh, you know, it's eccentric. It's not that it's like great. People are not rushing out to buy this stuff. People are not, it's like not setting the world on fire. It's kind of like when, like if I'm being, this is me at my most charitable here. It's like, <laughs> it's like when, when, when Apple released the first like translucent iMac. Oh, you know what right, I mean? Right. Like, and, but that's like where they're starting, right? They're not going and competing head to head with Apple's current shit. No, they're back in like the early 2000s with their hardware, um, just beginning to figure out, okay, so like, how do we differentiate? How do, and, and their answer is, we're going to do some eccentric shit with computers. We're going to do some crazy stuff in terms of design. And, but, but are these actually way better computers than, than the ones that Apple ships? I mean, not really. Like, fundamentally, you're still coming back to the same, same issues. It's still running Windows. Problem number yeah, one. Yeah, that's, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, yeah, and, and, you know, um, the materials and such that, that, that Microsoft is choosing to use, some of this is thanks to Apple because they controlled so much of the supply chain and materials. Um, they use, uh, different things that, um, tend to wear out faster and like, yeah. you know, uh, I, uh, by the way, I applaud Microsoft. I actually think it's really cool stuff. But this overwhelming sense in the in the tech press right now that like, oh, well, Apple and Microsoft have traded places and, and you know, and Microsoft is doing all the innovation. It's like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, and the reason I say that is like, are, are you even paying attention to what Apple's actually doing? Like, if you were if you're only zeroing in on stuff that they're doing with the Mac, I guess kind of sort of maybe. Right. I would still take issue with it, but I get where it's coming from because they've been kind of slow to update things. And uh, it, it, I personally think they still, you know, they still care about the Mac, but I can, I can understand it to some degree, but you take like the whole of what Apple's doing. It's like, did you just see the phones they released? You know, yeah. like, yeah. are you seeing the, you know, the, the crazy bonker shit they're doing with Silicon? And uh, I just, I, I don't, I don't understand. Uh, I understand where it comes from, but it's wrong. <laughs> well, it, it you know, Remember when they introduced the the Surface Pro Studio and everybody mm. saying this is going to kill iMacs and everything and <laughs> and but th- nobody took the time to look at what was in this Surface Pro Studio. Yes, it totally. has a cool screen that's not as good as a Retina screen in an iMac. It's still a good screen, but it's nowhere near as powerful as an iMac. Even like back then when it was just the five K iMacs, right? And the price on these things was extraordinarily high. I don't even think it was even out here in Canada. I've never heard of anybody buying one. They just right. kept saying, oh, it's going to kill the iMac. But nobody bought one because right. at that price and what you're getting, if you're going to use Windows, you're going to build a, a regular old tower PC for way better like parts and spend a lot less on it than that Surface Pro Studio for the that whiz-bang touch surface thing. That Does anybody use that really? I don't know. And yeah. is there a ton of software that's optimized for it? Exactly. Um, you know, Microsoft's been playing around with this Surface idea for a while. I mean, the the, the name Surface comes from that table they released uh, a long time ago. I saw that on, on Dig, like when yeah. it was Dignation a long time ago, like in right. 2005 or six or it, something. It, it was like, it was a situation where they came up with a concept car and then they shipped the concept. But the only people who bought the concept were like... 
you know, really pretty like corporate type companies and they like they kind of got one just to like throw in their office. Like yeah. n- and then nobody used it, right? <laughs> it, was, it was just this this thing. And um Microsoft has a really interesting history of kind of being kind of being first to some really cool stuff, uh, but not necessarily being the ones to implement said thing in the best way, you know? Right. And I do think that uh, what you were saying kind of speaks to this false dichotomy that like if Microsoft is getting better, better then therefore Apple is getting worse. And I don't think that it's a binary at all. Right. Isn't that something Steve Jobs said where we have to stop thinking of for Apple to win, Microsoft has to lose. That was totally. like when, uh, when he had uh, Bill Gates hovering over him uh, at that Boston Macworld. Yeah. Well, and another piece of this is like where a lot of this is coming from is the fact that we all miss Steve Jobs. So like right now, uh, there, there is this overwhelming desire to kind of burn Apple. Um, it's coming from everywhere. Like, uh, you know, the sense that Apple's becoming kind of boring. They're becoming kind of predictable. Oh, whoop de doo. They released new phones. Who cares that the silicon is the most insane shit anyone has ever seen? Um, but like, yeah, it's just another iPhone. Uh, and oh, it's just another watch. And, you know, they're, they, they're not, they're not doing like, nothing has come close to what the original iPhone was and, and, and all this, all this stuff. Um, which is crazy because nothing is ever going to do what the phone did, period. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's just no, not. The, the, it's the not most successful happen. product ever at this point. There's nothing that's going to come close to it that we can foresee. You never know. Yeah. But nobody would have thought this was possible. Like what their initial goal was to sell maybe a million of them. Mm. And uh, I think they've surpassed that. I think they they got a little bit above that. Um by a few hundred million, you know. <laughs> but even like, look, last year I bought the 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 bargain basement iPhone eight plus because you know everybody was waiting for the ten, and I said, you know what, I'm going to buy the eight. But this phone is incredible, totally. And, and that's why, like this year, like I'm not going to update because it's not a big enough update. But from what I've understood, the camera is a huge update in these new phones, and it it makes right. a big difference with that smart HDR where most pictures you take end up being like usable. Whereas I know some pictures I take on this phone, even though most of them are great, some of them not so good. I have to like take it over again. No big deal. It's still the best camera I've ever used. Yeah. But I, you know, I, I get the sense. I don't know if you guys get this sense, but I get this sense. Like there's just, um, there's a knee jerk toward negativity lately. Totally. When it, when oh, it comes yeah. when it comes to Apple. And actually I would I feel that the menu bar when we restarted the show, we kind of leaned into that a little bit. Right? <laughs> yes, maybe. You we had did. a reputation, I think. Yeah. And well, and lately we just don't talk about tech at all, so that solves that. Yeah. <laughs> but, but you know, and I and I felt it when we leaned into it. And I, I started, you know, friends of mine started talking to me. They're like, they're like, you know what's going on Zach you're just like super negative all the time and I started thinking about it and it's like you're right I am kind of just being super negative all the time I'm kind of just complaining all the time about Apple and it's like it's kind of a waste of energy and it's not really taking the full picture into account I I think I think where it comes from is that people just uh things in the world are kind of screwed up uh to say the least especially in America um and people just they they want something to look up to. They want something to you know, Apple used to be held up as like it's not just a company. It's like it's like you know, people would tie up their identity in this right. company. They're, it's almost dogmatic. Um or worship. 
Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, actually, like, people actually worship this comedy. It's, like, actually a replacement for religion kind of thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, Brian makes fun of me all the time saying, uh, you know, when anytime I walk in front of an Apple store, I do the sign of the Apple. I mean, and I lean straight into that stuff, especially on the menu bar. I actually, you know, there's been studies on this that show that uh, people's brainwave patterns, uh, when they look at like a holy cross versus an apple symbol, same fucking brainwave pattern. <laughs> <laughs> like I, when I say that it's replaced religion for people, it's not a joke. I'm like, I'm so dead serious. And, you know, when you get that tied up and that invested in a company as being part of your identity, but then you've also got, you have the ultimate religious story, the ultimate myth in this company of, of Steve, this return of Steve Jobs and like, you know, uh, Everything that he did in the time in that in that like, you know, decade and a half of of just totally changing the world, like one thing at a time, iterating, iterating relentlessly. And, you know, everything that he did was great, <laughs> which it wasn't. No. <laughs> right. Well, the G4 Mostly. Cube. Yeah, mm, the, was the rocker. Although he didn't right. like that thing. But I was going to say most of the 90s kind of attest to the idea that like you don't bat 100 percent of the time. Yeah, and that was that was like during Steve's uh, dark ages when he wasn't there. But yeah, he came back, and not that not everything was perfect, obviously. Whereas I would argue Apple does screws up less now. I think so too. Yeah, but that's a controversial statement to make, right? Like you know, a lot of people have this sense that their that their software quality is bad, their hardware is getting worse, they care less about their products. Near as I can tell, none of those things are true. There are certain like hard realities behind some of these things. Like, you know, they like, okay, with the Mac, right? So you actually investigate the problem of like, I would say, what's actually going on here? Um, the reality is, is they're running into physics problems with and problems of being promised things from intel in terms of innovation that intel hasn't been able to deliver on which is interesting because half the you know chip talent from intel is at apple now which is another piece of that story (laughs) (laughs) right (laughs) but you know uh they're doing a lot of stuff with the mac sort of behind the scenes that it's not obvious, you know, uh, on, on the outside, you know, and, and uh, I don't know. I do think that like them sending this like yearly timetable to has also sort of done them in perception wise, right? Because Angela and I talk about this continually about the idea of they're they have a deadline and every fall they need to sort of have something to show. Yeah, um, although it's a good thing though because they they. They, they're so relentless inside the company and um, every year they have to choose from a set of things that they're actually going to do. You know, they wind up cutting quite a bit every year. Things get pushed off to the side or whatever. Um, that's always been kind of part of the ethos of the company is is like they don't ship things until they're ready, but they have to ship something. Yeah. You know what I mean? And like that, that's kind of the way what happened with, I feel like the watch, right? Like the watch came out and it was a little rough when it came out, but you know, you look back a few years later and it's kind of an iPod story, right? Because when the iPod first came out, that seemed like crazy bonkers stuff. Like what? Like a $500 MP3 player. Um, (laughs) yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, and they're trying to position it as this like fashion thing. What the heck's going on there? And And it's Mac only. Totally. And it wasn't sell, it sold okay. It didn't sell that well at first. 
And the same thing's kind of repeating now with the watch. It's like the first one came out way too expensive. They really leaned in on the fashion angle, maybe by $10,000 too much. Um, Right. And, uh, but now it's like, well, they're actually eating the profit of that entire industry and the watch is a pretty swimming success. It's not the iPhone, but it was never going to be the iPhone. You know, nothing's going to be the iPhone at this point. Totally. Right. But it's still a mega product. Like if you were to split off just the watch from Apple, that's a huge company. (laughs) Absolutely. Everything Um, they do is huge. Totally. That's at at this point, everything they do is huge. They have billions. Of, they have, what? How many? One point five billion uh, iOS devices that are yeah. be, are active at this point. Right. It's insane. And they're they're really you know this is something I talked recently with Marco Arment about is you know they're just everybody always underestimates the phone uh, something. Uh, something is not going to come along and replace the iPhone anytime soon you know it wasn't when the watch came out it's not going to even happen when the ar glasses or whatever the heck inevitable thing comes out so you're saying the essential phone won't come and replace an iphone is that what you're saying i don't i don't (laughs) i i I don't think a uh no it won't (laughs) but to be but to be more specific like no new single piece of technology is likely to replace the phone in the next decade you know what I mean? Yeah. And it, like the phone has become, I mean, it's on one hand, it's become kind of boring, but also like, can you even imagine the phones we're going to have in 10 years? And it, the phone has become like the sun and all the, uh, and everything else are like planets that orbit it. Right. And that's kind of what, what it's becoming. It's like, now you have AirPods. Now you've got the watch, you've got uh home pod and you've got apple tv and all these things are just like orbiting and and the same is going to be true of ar glasses you're never going to have the idea of another product that like every you know 100 percent of people on the planet have <laughs> is super super unlikely and maybe that's not the standard that is reasonable to hold apple to like you know what's their next iphone well Probably nothing. Like another iPhone. Really unlikely. Yeah, another yeah. iPhone. Right. Well, it's funny that you mentioned Apple TV because uh, in Angel, Angel and I kind of discuss the future a lot and the idea of like where can Apple go from here to there and what avenues do they need to sort of open up? Because right now they're largely a conduit for content. And I know that you've talked about this on the menu bar. So I'm kind of interested, and you're kind of the ideal guest to talk about this because I feel as though they are starting to make inroads into the content game. But mm. as you guys were seeing, they're, they always want to make the big splash, right? So I feel like I was hoping to hear something about some piece of content coming up during this year's keynote, but I feel like next year may be the year in which they finally um, sort of push the platform because Apple TV's kind of been relegated to sort of like a footnote at this juncture. Yeah, I hate that Apple has to get into content. I really hate the idea that they're getting into content because... I, I think about um, a Sony's a really good example, right? They um, they were not a content company until they were. They went and bought you know a movie studio, and suddenly they're a content company. And it kind of it worked out ish for Sony, but it wasn't the most ideal thing. And they've kind of gone back and forth in terms of you know to varying degrees of success in terms of in terms of being able to integrate content into their hardware with their hardware products or with their hardware narrative. Um, content is a very like separate business, I feel like, from technology. Yeah. It's a very different world. Um, but increasingly, it's like content, exclusive content 
is becoming table stakes. And it was something I was always hoping Apple would be able to sidestep. And if I'm making a wild guess here, I think that they were always hoping that they (laughs) didn't have to do it, that they could sidestep it. Uh, Because for years and years, the whole thing was they were trying to come up with a way to come up with some kind of channel bundle uh, of, of, you know, get us, get everybody else to do it um, via them. Right. So they wanted like a new iTunes, but for TV, basically. And Apple's kind of at its best when they're a platform, when they're a platform that uh, other companies can come in and do stuff and they can be a conduit, uh, as you said, for for content. It's interesting. All of that has completely fallen apart behind the scenes for various reasons that, you know, are kind of obvious at this point. Um, As for when they're going to do this stuff, how they're going to do it. Um, I don't, I have no idea what it, what it looks like. I know that at this point they don't have a choice, um, because it has become table stakes and that's the the way that this war is playing out is like it's exclusives versus exclusives. Well, I feel like they've made certain inroads in terms of like beats one, right? So they have Drake's OVO radio, right? Uh, Nicki Minaj's queen show. Like whenever an urban artist needs to make a, an album rollout plan, usually beats one is sort of in there somewhere. So at least on Mm. that end, in terms of a conduit, they have that exclusivity and becoming like, yeah, the MTV of music, right? Is yeah. what they're trying to yeah. Or or like the new MTV. I think I think that was even a mission statement in Apple at one point was that that was kind of the goal there was trying to become the new central hub for music, you know. Um because we kind of drifted away from monoculture. We drifted away from you know, things being filtered down through other other things, through critics, the Rolling Stone magazine, MTV, whatever. Uh, we drifted away from that into people kind of just like going and finding whatever the heck they want through God knows how. And a- Apple, I feel like with Beats was trying to, with with Beats 1 specifically, was trying to create a monoculture, was trying to create a situation where like here's here's a way that we can kind of, you know, um, bring back that experience of like going to a record. Like you, you're never going to bring this back, but like getting as close to it as possible. So like listening to Beats One is kind of like going and having a conversation with someone at the record store, listening to yeah. Zane Lowe talk about the things that he likes. Right. I I feel like that was kind of the the idea there. Yeah. Well, I remember in your episode with Rob, he was talking about originally when he was sort of working on the periphery that the idea of bringing in multiple services, including YouTube and SoundCloud, because mm. his point was just people, yeah. especially in underground music, just upload directly to SoundCloud and it's there instantly. Like you don't have to jump through the hoops. Like, for example, I know that Spotify right now is slowly allowing artists themselves to upload directly to the platform where before you had to use like CD Baby or TuneCore and like use a middleman in order to get your music onto these platforms. And, you know, he's basically shut down and there's all this logistical red tape in terms of of media being siloed out it's a complicated issue like so you can now upload content to spotify do you want to upload content to spotify like there's ram <laughs> there's there's ramifications to any time things like this happen it looks like democratization but actually it's like a new method of control yeah. uh it's like do like well like youtube is the perfect example of this it's like well it's great because anybody can kind of do anything but it's also all controlled by one, you know, one entity. So it's 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 complicated. Like it's not the way that ideally things would go. Uh, given 
what you can do with technology. But unfortunately, there's intellectual property realities. And what I've what I've heard over and over again, both from Rob and from other people that I've talked to that worked on um, Apple Music is just the right stuff is just such a freaking nightmare. And also, like, you know, doing something like being able to bring in other services, like it sounds super good on paper, but realistically, no one's done it before. And these people are all actually your, your competitors. And they are all cutthroat, right? Like Spotify is a super cutthroat company. They yeah. kind of want it all. Like, do we really want to work with them? Every time you do this, it's like, what are you giving up? kind of yeah. thing. And um yeah, I I don't I I don't know what the future holds in terms of Apple as like a conduit for content is. I've always wanted them to get into video. I've always wanted them to get into I've always wanted them to buy SoundCloud, you know, so that people can just upload music to them. Well, they but, had a good opportunity last year to do it. Yeah, right. Uh, but they they just for one reason or the other have not wanted to do that. Like my feeling has always been Apple makes some of the best industry creation tools on the planet. And it would be great if they also had some of the best ways to distribute content. Specific yeah. specifically for independent artists. And we could t- we could be talking about well, geez, what we do here, right? Like it, they almost should have a way that you can just go and publish a podcast through them. Although there's reasons why that might be a bad idea, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, uh, it, like a sound again sounds good on paper, but it's like, what are we giving up? Um, you know, Just I a think publish button right in Logic. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Like, and and there's, I can think of reasons for Apple to do that, and uh, but so far they've been like relatively benevolent with podcasts, and that's good. But but then it comes down to like, well, who's not going to be benevolent? And yeah. then and then 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 should Apple? you know, pull that, pull that particular string or whatever. I, yeah. I worry about the future of podcasting sometimes with, with now. You're going li- to like the next episode of the menu bar. <laughs> oh, well, great. Yeah. Yeah. That I, I, I got it. I got way into um, the, <clears throat> just sort of the landscape of podcasting with, with Marco Arment. We did it in kind of a very candid way. I think, uh, I think you'll dig it. Well, and Marco makes like the best tools for podcasting. Like totally. I use his podcast player. I use, and I use forecast now to do yeah. my chapter markers and stuff, which is, it's a phenomenal, like little app he just puts out there for free and he's refusing to make it, uh, take it out of beta, I guess, but it's so good. It And I, I recommend it to anybody who uses, who uses chapter markers and even just as an MP3 uh, encoder, it's fantastic. I'm too lazy for chapter markers, but when <laughs> when we eventually do it, we will use forecast because it makes it easy. easy well, a quick it. tip here is to know who edited the podcast. If there's chapter markers, it's me. If there's no chapter markers, it's Brian. Yeah, gotcha. DGAF on that one. <laughs> <laughs> I think the other thing too, beyond sort of like Apple going into things, is the idea of lost revenue, right? Because uh, there was this report that came out this week about how the siloing of exclusive content has driven up bit torrenting over the last couple of years after it sort of declined a number of years ago. So I find that super interesting and sort of intriguing. I for one am shocked. (laughs) (laughs) Well, for example, I kind of wanted to talk about this, but Netflix Canada only has 41 of the top 250 movies on IMDb. Mm -hmm. So there's almost over 200 uh, movies that are sort of considered classics amongst this user base that 
aren't there, right? And so, of course, that's going to drive you to sort of want to find them as quickly and easily as possible. Totally, totally. Yeah, you're, you say to yourself, you're paying for Netflix. Well, I should have more movies. And then, oh, now you have to pay for Amazon Prime. And and in the US, you guys have so many things you have to like end up subscribing to if you want to get everything here. We just don't have the option to subscribe it. and You just don't have it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and a lot of people just end up torrenting it because totally. well, they can't find it. And the thing is, here is we can't really get uh, much more than like a slap on the wrist from our ISP saying, "No, no, no, don't download from those mean sites." Right. But that's about it. People just I know a lot of people that just torrent everything. I know people who do that too. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like it kind of leads to the larger question of like, how do we get a unified um, system going of, of content mm. distribution? You know, and it comes right back down to like rights issues and how contracts are formatted and how um, companies decide to play nice or not nice with each other based well, on and, what and they get now, out of it. Now it's a war. It's an outright war for exclusive content um everybody wants to have the service that people sign up for but what's actually happened like so the, this whole thing has been like how can we blow up the 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 isp monopoly on content right and lots of good things have happened um content did in fact get blown apart and now there's all these services all over the place uh, from Netflix to Hulu to Crunchyroll to Amazon Prime to whatever the hell Apple, Apple announces to the CBS service to uh, and, and, and Disney's and, upcoming one. And Dis- Disney's got the upcoming one that everyone is gonna have to subscribe to, like no matter what. Um, so what we did is like we unbundled everything, only to have a situation where we're gonna probably wind up paying more for content. It's exactly. super fascinating because yeah. once once you start adding up all these bills, like okay, I got Hulu, I got Am- I got Netflix, I got Amazon, I got Apple, I got Disney. This bill is going to be over a hundred bucks. This and you're not just, just talking about like sports services either, right? Which is a huge market in the states, right? Yeah, yeah. And when sports is just insane. So like all this stuff, you know, it, it seemed like a really good idea to <laughs> to blow this whole thing apart, but this is something I've been thinking about for years, just taking a wide angle um, look at this entire market. It's like, inevitably, it's all going to come back together. Like we're blowing this up only so that we can put it all back together. It's just a matter of who's going to be the one to do that. And that's, again, where the war side of this comes in, because Amazon is making moves in that uh, in that uh, in that way. Uh, Apple is kind of making moves in that way. Disney's making moves in that way. It's really tough to say like how this is all going to play out in the end. I have a feeling it's just going to wind up being like competing ISPs. Everyone's going to kind of have a a little different uh, package of content. And it's going to suck. It's going to be not great. (laughs) Because I feel like it's the cable model just reinvented it because everyone hated the cable model. And now perhaps without realizing it, it's just going to return to that. It's it's better than the cable model in that everything is like on demand. You can watch it at any time and it's all over the cloud and it's instant. And like in that way, this it's better. And also the content is better. Content itself is better than it's ever been. Right. Yes. Um, almost overwhelmingly so. Like nobody has time <laughs> for the oh, amount. There, I have I just yeah. got Amazon Prime. We talked about it a few weeks ago. And there's so much more stuff now for me to watch. And totally. I don't have time to watch it. Right. But it, it's going to wind up being the situation where um, you're going to have c- 
conglomerate services where everything aggregates to, but, and everybody's going to have a different kind of like slightly, slightly different share of stuff. And then, then people are going to pirate whatever it is that they can't get access to. And I can't really imagine any other scenario playing out at the moment. I, I always hoped that Apple would get something together to be like the new iTunes, but for TV, to be the platform as opposed to being the, you know, having to be the damn content owner. Yeah. And for many reasons, because content is, is expensive. It's expensive. It's, um, it's corrosive is another way that I would put it because the culture of Hollywood, the culture of content, uh, is just such a different world. And I have no doubt that Apple could, can run something like that separately and it won't corrode that badly into the rest of the company and, and it'll probably be okay. But my concern has always been them becoming Sony too. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I don't mean that. Well, yeah, I do mean it in a bad way. So Sony, <laughs> like Sony is a, a pretty good company, but they, they're a pale imitation of their past selves in terms of their like, like their what their brand meant and like they used to own audio they had the walkman they you know what i mean um and they became diversified and they became a bigger company but at what cost you know um and now they've got they've got playstation and, and they've kind of got a content service but like none of these things are um aside from PlayStation, like PlayStation is the best thing they do. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's, it's that, that side of things has always been run extremely well, but they're really bad at taking everything else that they do and integrating it mm. as a stack. And so the worry or the concern with Apple would be like, like how separate do these things have to be and how much are these things going to benefit one another or hurt one another? It right. would be, would be my concern. Um, so I've actually always kind of been against them getting into content. Now it's a, at a point where, oh, they're, they're getting into content. Like you either accept it or get off the freaking train. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and, you know, I'm kind of excited about some of the choices they've made. Uh, you know, they're, <laughs> they're going to reboot amazing stories. Cool. Which is amazing. You know? Yeah. They're, yeah. they're going to do the Asimov foundation series. Cool. So there's some nerds over at Apple that are. <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> they're doing some pretty cool uh de decision making um but as for how it's all going to play out when this stuff is going to come out and how like I don't, I don't even know how they're going to do this right like no one even knows what app the content is going to come through like is yeah. it gonna like what is it gonna be part of apple music hopefully not is it gonna be part of that tv app uh sure but i hope they revamp it <laughs> yeah they'd have to <laughs> right um it's it's a it's a it's a complicated thing. I, and unfortunately, a few years ago, I would have been super optimistic, but now I'm a little bit more at a place of like, okay, so this is just gonna suck. Cool. All right, moving on. <laughs> I think at the end of the day, it's all about looking at your like your bottom line too. Is like, how much do I want to spend per month, and who do I want to give it to? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I have no doubt all these companies are going to be varying degrees of successful and Apple will probably come in and be fairly successful just because they can they there's ways they can kind of sell it with other things. Like I can imagine a scenario in which they would sell it with, uh, you know, um, iCloud data or uh, with your Apple Music subscription and they might have bundled services and it'll right. be really super hard to resist. Yeah, like it'll be like an Apple Media Pass for like twenty bucks a month or something. Yeah, that makes totally. sense. Totally, but that's not going to stop you from needing to get you know 
um, Disney service or, you know, if you really are super into Star Trek, you're going to have to get CBS service or whatever, or you're going to start pirating it, which will be bad news for them. Like, it's like, yeah, um, this is not the ideal way that this all could have played out for sure. Like the ideal thing would have been there's just a whole bunch of content companies making content and a few different platforms and just kind of a back and forth kind of thing almost like the video game industry or whatever right like so, right. there's sometimes exclusive over here over here this is a little different this is like all out like here's uh tons of exclusives over here and tons of exclusives over here and you have to pay for all of it yeah. um so we blew it all up just so we could you know try to f- figure out how we can put it back together again it's kind of a crazy situation and then this is all without even addressing like okay so now how are the isps going to retaliate like comcast yeah. isn't sitting around doing nothing about this problem um and they are losing right now they are losing subscribers and the the content that they own is you know less and less profitable so what's going to happen is like they're going to look at the fact that they own the pipe and they're going to go well i guess the pipe is a lot more expensive now hmm. you know and there's going to be a lot of strong arming and it's going to it's going to be it's been crazy it's been nuts and it's going to it's going to continue to be that way uh, unfortunately i don't have some you know cool uh, way of framing it <laughs> that that is going to all work out in some way it won't it's going to be a mess and i don't see anybody fixing it including apple yeah i just think it's it's kind of picking through the debris and figuring out like what's worthwhile in the end uh, which is not like you were saying, like, right. not an ideal scenario, but it's the scenario which we're facing, especially with, you know, net neutrality laws and things like that. You know, you're just saying ISPs, like just apart from your subscription fees, you're going to have to pay, you know, to access the following domains, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. There's there's all sorts of, sorts of stuff that plays in, into, into all this. And um, and ISPs, um, I mean, especially with the administration that we have and whatever, mm lack of regulation and all sorts of fun stuff like i it's hard to predict i don't even know what things are going to look like in a few years it like it feels like a very tenuous situation in which like reality as we know it could completely change on a year-to-year basis (laughs) you know what i mean like people Um, think we're slightly sheltered from that here but it trickles down uh because yes we won't have we 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 still have net neutrality here but it's it's still whatever happens to you guys happens to us too yeah, well, and whereas especially in terms who, of content, well, and who, who's bankrolling the majority of the content? Unfortunately, it's America, right? Yeah, and, exactly. And we have this tendency to shove our content down the collective throats of the entire planet, right? Um, and whatever we don't own, we go buy it, right? <laughs> like, um, so yeah, these things trickle down across the whole planet. It has global ramifications. It's just, it's, it's kind of bonkers to wrap your head around. Yeah. And that's just like the idea of the monoculture, right? Like the existence of uh, one sort of ostensibly shared uh, set of of pieces of media that kind of get propagated throughout the world and translated and subtitled, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, at the basis, like it comes from basically like one center of the world. Yeah. One or two or three, you know? Um, yeah. yeah, it's 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 going to it's going to be interesting to see how how it plays out. And I unfortunately I have like no insight as to when they're planning on launching their service or what what they're doing there. It's all still pretty hush hush. <laughs> I still think they're trying to figure it out themselves because I think they're just sitting back and watching what's happening and sort of figuring out when mm. the best moment to sort of strike is. And it clearly isn't right now. 
I would say they have. Um, I would. Um, I would say there's a definitive plan to launch, and nobody knows what it is. But I would say that I would say there is a definitive plan in place at this point because there's just too much money in it now. They've now bankrolled um, too many things to get made for them not to have some kind of delivery plan. Right. That's a very good point, actually. <laughs> right. Uh, it's it's kind of like it's kind of like. It's kind of like when like Mark Gurman leaks something about the iPhone and he says they changed something last second. And then John Gruber is like, no, they there's no way they changed something last second. Right. Because this shit was just decided a year ago. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it takes about two years, right, from like signing a contract to some form of content appearing on a 100%. screen. So I feel like they've hit that juncture with the initial sort of contracts that they've signed. Um, yeah. So I guess, it's, yeah, I guess within the next year, we'll start hearing some kind of we of I would. I would say within the next six months, I, because just just looking at the time frame of when they started really putting a lot of money into this, um, and and like how quickly stuff is getting filmed and and all that stuff, I would say probably the next six months because they just want they're gonna have all this content. They're not they're not gonna just like let it sit. <laughs> no, yeah, <laughs> that's a lot of that's a lot of money to have just you know sitting somewhere and then you know shows that may or may not have to be renewed and like there's a lot of stuff to this and then um i'm sure they don't 100 percent own all of it anything having to do with content involves multiple production companies yeah. multiple yeah. agreements so i would say for sure they definitively have something in mind that they want to do um but uh, as for how it actually happens and all that um i have no idea <laughs> it'll be, we won't be know really until uh until tim cook comes out and tells us that's right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's uh, right. Wow. This has hit a real Debbie Downer turn. Angela, if you could put in some side, slide whistle sound effects here, um, that would be very appreciated. Probably not. <laughs> but it's been and a good conversation. <laughs> I feel like we could go on for hours, but I feel like we should move on to the panel sure. section, if that's okay with you. Sure. Yeah, no, absolutely. Great. So we'll see you there. Okay. Are you wondering what's up with the latest tech news? Is the last privacy issue total mumbo jumbo to your ears? What about that company that got hacked? What does it mean to you? Well, look no further, RGBA has you covered. We not only discuss what's happening today in the world of technology and Apple, but we're also reviewing tech products and taking the time to understand all of the real-life implications of the latest hack story. Tune in to RGBA.fm, where my co-host Tyler and I take a weekly dive down the series of tubes to surface news, rumors, and have the occasional coffee discussion or even a tech adventure. Listen to us on RGBA.fm for colorful tech news and reviews. Welcome back to Double Density. As always, we're switching gears from tech to the paranormal. So I kind of wanted to pick your brain, Zach, because I know that you sort of grew up in a paranormal household, for lack of a better term. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So my mom was deeply into all of the things, everything from <clears throat> serial killers to uh, aliens to occult conspiracies to you name it. She was if it was weird. She, we had a book on the shelf that she was reading all the time. And um, I also grew up with her, uh, you know, always having coast to coast AM on the radio every single night you know, between 10, whatever the heck it was, like 9 p.m., 10 p.m. to like, you know, two in the morning. <laughs> Every single night. Like, that's kind of what I grew up on, which explains a lot. <laughs> well, that's one of the things that freaked me out the most is that both you and Brian 
have like archives of coast to coast that you listen to regularly. Oh yeah, I got an I've got an iPod Classic that is dedicated. <laughs> yes, it's dedicated. Mine has the same thing. It blows my mind. <laughs> really, you have this exact same setup, huh? I used to until last year when my iPod died. Unfortunately, and I've I've gone to um, oh, use the podcast app, but largely oh, the same. And I kind of wanted to sort of branch off for a second, sort of touch on something tech. And in an episode, you'd mentioned the idea of like listening to podcasts at more than one X, which is I know something that Angel <laughs> is definitely guilty of. I'm less guilty of, and we often just things of being like one x worthy and i'm kind of curious uh is coast to coast like a one x i guess it must be because of your ipod uh yeah no it's absolutely one x and actually i don't i i absolutely i want to come down hard on this i <laughs> i don't personally and i want to be careful because i this, this is like upsets people i don't personally believe in the idea of 2xing a podcast Ever okay. under any circumstances, under any scenario, whatever, like whatever gets you to the point of I'm going to 2x this, either stop listening to that podcast, number one, like just don't just you don't need to hear it necessarily or um, or consider like what you're doing. <laughs> 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 See, like, menu bar, the, the menu bar is one of my lower X podcasts. Lower like X. 1.25 1. <laughs> or something. That's very diplomatic of you. <laughs> well, it's it's not. It's very low, like in terms okay. of the, the one. But yeah, so uh, there's a few podcasts I listen to at higher speed just because I, I have so many I want to listen to. But sure. I totally get where you're coming from. Absolutely. Um, if for me, it, well, I, I don't. It's not, it's not a religious thing. It's not like a thing <laughs> where I am like telling people what to do. But for me personally... It's like any any way that you can get in your brain to the point of I need to two x or three x my way through this. Um, you're not. There's just like I understand that people say, "Oh, you get used to it. You get used to it." No, I don't buy it. <laughs> I don't buy it. And and even if you're getting used to it, I'm questioning the consequences. I'm questioning like how. You're not following the show the way the, the like the content the way that other people are hearing it and, and right. you're right. It, it, it's it's I changing agree with that, for sure. It's definitely altering the the way that you're hearing it, and I, it, it leaves the door open for things to be more taken out of context or for people to maybe come to really way too quick conclusions because apparently they're thinking at three fucking x. Like <laughs> you know what I mean? Like. You know, I'm a guy who's like trying to get into meditation, slowing down, you know, and the idea of 3Xing a podcast is just the craziest shit to me. I, I actually have like, this fight in my household all the time because my fiance hates it because I'll try to show her something and I'll, it's at 1.25 or 1.5 and she's like, why would you do this? Just put it at a normal speed where normal people talk. Yeah. And so I've had to retrain my brain when I decide to show her things to <laughs> slow things down, which could be like a good thing, I guess, in the end, but it's still like a lesson that I'm learning. Right. I mean, I, and I could be totally wrong about this. Maybe it turns out that it's like a way better way to do things. And then once you rewire your brain that way, that actually it's uh, it's good for you in some way. I doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> I have, you know, I don't know. No study. I feel like there should be studies on this. Like I, it's one of these things like I feel uncomfortable talking about it. I have opinions, but like but like I don't I don't actually know the answer. I just have a feeling that it's not the best thing to do. <laughs> I, I just feel like it's almost and I think about this a lot when I, I sort of listen to things faster because where I work I tend to do a lot of writing and I'm always I end up auto transcribing whenever I listen to a podcast I only have like a couple of hours a day max 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 right. so some of the stuff will go faster but I do feel like it turns media into um, a checklist and not necessarily an experience 
Right. No, that's 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 exactly my concern. And especially with the kinds of discussions that we have on the menu bar or like with conversations that I want to have on the menu bar. Um, I want people to take their time and think like the whole reason why I do the show is like trying to get people thinking. And I feel like you're doing kind of the opposite of thinking if you're listening at three X like and, and maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe your brain works that fast, but I have my doubts. <laughs> Uh, uh, that's a double density slash like many more PSA to all the super geniuses out there, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Uh, But back to the sort of like the core of the question. So you grew up in a paranormal household. You're listening to coast to coast AM um, on a regular basis. Like obviously there's like a level of interest, but like as a a child growing up, like, does it scare you? Mm, When I was younger, absolutely. Um, I feel like I was so, um, Hmm. What's the word? Inoculated with this stuff that uh, now, like nothing scares me. Nothing like (laughs) you could throw. Yeah, I could watch, uh, you know, Event Horizon or The Exorcist or whatever, like at at, at three o'clock in the morning with all the lights off. And like, this is not going to do anything for me. Um, Nothing really scares me anymore. And I think it has a lot to do with the kinds of things I grew up with. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like, speaking like uh, when was the last time you were scared then in that case like what piece of media last scared you because i think i know what mine is but i'm curious to see what yours and angela's are last piece of media that scared me hmm well here i'll go first then in that case sure you go so i rewatched the blair witch project a couple of years ago and mm. when i first saw it i wasn't really affected by it but then in the interim real life got in the way i actually got lost in the woods uh for a while one afternoon it scared the hell out of me and right. then rewatching the blair witch project there was that connection of that memory of being lost and scared totally. versus seeing this on stage so that that affected me way more than i thought it would and so it yeah. made it like a very effective piece of media for me yeah no uh that that that, that totally makes sense i guess uh, the Blair Witch Project actually is something that if I, if I watch it at the right time with all the lights off or whatever, that does kind of it does get under my skin. And that's because I literally grew up in the middle of the woods. So wait, you were growing up in the middle of nowhere, listening to Ghost to Ghost every night <laughs> with stacks of books about every sort of ephemera kind of like surrounding you. That's super interesting. <laughs> you have that all accurate. Yes. No wonder you're inoculated against being afraid of anything. I I mean, I'm I, I'm. I'm probably afraid of something. It just, it's been a, it's been a while since like I watched a movie and I was scared, or I listened to Coast to Coast and I was scared of something. Um, I mean, stuff on Coast to Coast used to scare the crap out of me all the time. Shadow like, people, uh, shadow people. Um, I remember when Malachi Martin was on the show. Uh, um, Brian always brings him up uh, in our in our. <laughs> see another another thing. You're just yeah. proving you were all part of a simulation, and you and Brian are like same spec sheet. Yeah, uh, religious stuff in general, because I wasn't religious growing up and my mom was, had grown up Catholic, but she wasn't really a practicing Catholic. Okay. Um, and that always weirded me the heck out. I'm like, well, she, she like, she kind of believes in God. Like, what's going on here? Like, so I, I grew up like questioning, like, uh, are my parents just doing this wrong? Like, should I be <laughs> religious? And so I'd hear something like with Malachi Martin and my, f- I would just be scared out of my mind. He would talk about things like, like, you know, people can be demonically possessed and you, you don't know. Right. Yeah. But yeah. they, but they know. <laughs> and, and then he talked about this concept of like perfect possession. <laughs> 
Yes. <laughs> right? Yeah. You know, just all this all this crazy stuff. And that stuff used to kind of frighten the hell out of me. But and you felt like maybe religion could be an effective shield against some of what he was talking about. I wasn't sure. I had no idea. I was like, shit. Maybe I should be religious, you know. So it made it, it made me ask a lot of questions uh, constantly to my family and to my friends, and and um, sent me on quite a journey for the rest of my life in terms of trying to figure out stuff, like you know. Um, but yeah, I don't I don't remember the last I don't remember the last time I was like frightened by by a piece of media. It was it, it would have been a long time ago, and when I was little. <laughs> what about you, Angelo? Well, I always bring it up at that episode of Unsolved Mysteries, right? Unsolved Mysteries that I saw when I was a kid with the bunk bed and all that. But more recently was a movie you pointed me to, and it was VHS two. Uh, was it VHS two or VHS one? Yeah, VHS two. Yeah, right with the the whole alien abduction thing in that. In that, yeah, um, that was super creepy. And in terms of like uh, quote unquote real media, is like when any anybody ever talks about shadow people and stuff, it really gets uh, my uh, hair on end. But I don't believe in any of it. I, I I honestly think people seeing shadow people, it's what it's like an eyeball thing, right? Like when your eyes see things in the corner of them, it's just it's not something really there. It's just your brain playing tricks on you. But of course, I'm always open to being wrong, but I'm probably not. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the you know, they're they're just interdimensional creatures trying to um force their way in. It's not it's not <laughs> it's perfectly normal. The uh, logical explanation, absolutely. Totally. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's so there's there's there's, there's probably multiple dimensions. Um, like I so I be, hmm, I don't believe any of this stuff, but I'm completely open to the possibility that this stuff is real. Um, yeah, that makes total sense. Yeah, and that kind of falls in line with what we do here. We have like this double density like scale of like believability, where like Angelo's kind of like and Carl Sagan are like hanging out like one or two, and it's a four point scale. Whereas like a four point is like a Stan Romanek or like a Whitley Strieber, like a real true ardent believer who's like experienced something. And so I feel like Angelo and I kind of hang out in like the one to two section, perhaps. Totally. Um, but th- th- that being said, about international um, species and things like that, like uh, there's so many multitudes of uh theories surrounding extraterrestrials right like one of them is definitely like interdimensionality there's the classic like extraterrestrial hypothesis which suggests that they are beings from another physical space are they uh an idea of like uh not necessarily like mass hysteria but like mass belief yeah my favorite one is that uh jack parsons and l ron hubbard opened a portal back in <laughs> in nevada um, which is what caused Roswell to happen. Um, do you know anything about that? How big of a Twin Peaks fan are you? <laughs> I'd say so. I'm like, I haven't watched the the newest season, but yeah. Oh, I, geez, you've got you've got a long ways to go, my friend. I know. So, I know. So You'll one have to pirate it, right, Brian? Yeah, no, I actually I, own it on Blu-ray somewhere. <laughs> oh I'm a gosh. very tactile person, and I I still buy movies. Just no as an excuse. FYI. No excuse. So okay, I know. I know, but. But so the the latest season of Twin Peaks, there was a tie-in book called The Secret History of Twin Peaks. And the interesting thing about this book is that it's like, so there's Mark Frost's version of what Twin Peaks is versus what David Lynch made, right? Okay. These are kind of different things. But Mark Frost, uh, he wrote this secret history thing, and it's like, you're expecting it all to be fiction. You're expecting it all to just be like, you know, background stuff that was going on in the town or something like that. But 
it's actually this like it's a fake FBI investigation into like what's really going on in the area. But most of the most of the information in there is like based on historical events. For instance, oh man, okay. F- for instance, Jack Parsons, uh, the he was the founder of of JPL Jet Propulsion Labs, yeah. which is a precursor to NASA. And this guy was into massive occult shit, like sex magic, Aleister Crowley, the whole thing. And he was actually pen pals with Aleister Crowley. Um, he was also friends with uh, L. Ron Hubbard, <laughs> of course, <laughs> which, which is just crazy, right? And um, so they they apparently went off and did what's called the Babylon Working Ritual in Nevada. Um, and they like, and according to a lot of different people, like they may have opened a portal <laughs> to, to, as one to another does. dimension as one does, uh, via some kind of weird, crazy sex magic thing that we won't get into on this show. But anyway, uh, anyway, I, I don't know. There, there's a lot of weird stuff like in history that's verifiable, right? Like this is right. the stuff that's super interesting to me. Like the fact that the precursor to NASA was started by, uh, a fucking crazy person, right? <laughs> or like the fact that we have electricity in the way that it works and everything. Like Tesla was a crazy person, um, yeah. uh, or the creation of the CIA uh, and the fact that they actually did do shit like MK Ultra. This is yeah. the stuff, or or looking at Roswell and going like, well, something happened. So. <laughs> We you tend know? to joke about this on the air, but I, and we were joking about this before about like reverse engineering, but the rate at which American industry grew post Roswell in terms of like leaps and bounds, like microwave technology, for example, being created. And there's all this other stuff there would suggest that perhaps this could be a possibility. Not that I'm saying it is, but if we were to sort of play the game of imagining things, it kind of falls in line. Right. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree. It's, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, I don't know. I, I I don't know. You know where I stand on on all this on all this stuff exactly. Uh, as far as like you know, I'm I'm ex- I'm I'm extremely skeptical, but like I want to believe. <laughs> you know what I mean? Do you feel like there are any like smoking gun sort of like incidents or things that you feel like where you're back to be pushed against the wall that you could point to that sort of say like, Hey, I think this because of the following event. Cause I feel like Roswell is one of those things. And the official explanation has shifted so much. And Angela and I get into this all the time because he loves talking about his stupid weather balloons and drones. Um, but I feel like there is something there beyond the official story that we're sort of missing. I don't know if it's little green men. I have no idea, but it feels a little more complicated than that. Um, best smoking gun evidence for, for aliens or UFOs or, or what have you, in my opinion is, have you ever read the book or, or seen the documentary UFOs and nukes? No. Oh, that's, uh, Robert Hastings. Is that him? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. So super interesting stuff. There's actually a documentary on Amazon. It's like an hour long, kind of pretty much goes over the gist of what the book is about, but he goes through and he documents all of these incidents of, you know, officials and and army people uh seeing um ufos around nuclear test facilities and this stuff is all documented like rendlesham i guess right yeah is that yeah yeah okay yeah and and well and also instances of 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 like a big orb or oval type shape showing up uh and all the nukes are like set to arm (laughs) things like that 
And and so the what's interesting is this didn't just happen in the United States. It happened also in Russia. And this is not a situation where they were in like communication with one another. These are like separate incidents that were happening around the same times, roughly between the 19, you know, 50s to the 19, uh, you know, 1980s. Um, these incidents just kept happening over and over and over and over again. And it's all documented and there are lots of witnesses. And it's one of these things that, out of all of the evidence that I've personally looked at for any of this stuff, that's the one that gives me the most pause just because it would take such coordination to fake uh, yeah. something like that. Something happened there, right? Something yeah. visited our our nuclear test facilities, both in America and in Russia, and something happened. What the hell it was, nobody knows, but it wasn't us and it wasn't the Russians. Yeah. <laughs> so It was the Canadians. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, it was the Canadians. Absolutely. So <laughs> as I, f I personally feel that ev that evidence is a smoking gun, but yeah. then, but then, you know, it's eyewitness testimony. So what can you do? Something that falls in line with that and something that our friend Rob over at the Our Strange Skies podcast has talked about and done a really great episode on is the, the Kenneth Arnold sighting that predates Roswell by a few weeks. I right. feel like that because he's a military man. And, but once again, it's eyewitnesses, right? So, uh, but there's also like the idea of like, there's a, a, a collection of, of people, army personnel who all corroborate this weird story. Yeah, no, it's, and the, the eyewitness testimony, unfortunately is the best we've got. We've got no hard evidence, almost, almost none, you know, maybe the Atacama, Atacama mummy. <laughs> or, yeah. Well, and the, and the, 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 the released, radar footage there talk about that, to the uh, stars yeah all right yeah we bring up to the stars too often i think uh <laughs> but yeah they've released that video with the with the tic-tac shaped thing which mm -hmm. could be anything from an actual alien craft to uh just radar stuff that's on the screen that has no bearing on anything it's right. it yeah, could I'm, be just i'm not super impressed with that footage there's better yeah. footage on the secure team 10 channel on youtube oh god oh, right god. <laughs> like, like, but it, it can just be artifacting which it what what it could likely be is that i think i think i think to the stars academy is a front it's a made up of entirely ex-cia people um like beyond tom DeLong, all of these people are ex-cia every yeah. almost yeah. every single one um which I know that's Stephen Greer's narrative, but it's one where I'm like, yeah, I kind of agree. Like after you yeah. look at, if, after you look into this, this is the weirdest fucking thing on the planet. <laughs> like this this company started by this freaking you know he's a he's a rock star. He gave that up because he wants to do something vague and abstract having to do with releasing information about aliens and doing something vague and abstract having to do with research about that. It's, it's just it, like, it's probably either a total just money making scheme, uh, bullshit. So you didn't buy shares at the initial offering is what you're telling us right now. I'm telling you that I invested all <laughs> of my money. All of my money went, I actually had cryptocurrency. I'm like, where is this all going to go? It's going to go into, no. Um, well, Tom DeLong is guaranteed $100,000 a year as per like the, the SEC filing stuff. So that I do it's, believe points to the idea of this being a money making scheme. Also, perhaps skunk. But that's works. not a so lot of money for Tom. That's not a lot of money for Tom DeLong. That's no, but I think it's a, it's a source of revenue for him. I mean, like, I, when have you seen him apart from being on stage doing that really weird presentation where he's sweating profusely like in the last totally. November? Apart from that, he hasn't been at the forefront of anything. But what, where it gets weird is Tom DeLong. He's a rich guy. He has money. And 
uh, Blink-182 and Angels and Airwaves were not small bands. They made a lot of money, right? For him to make, there's no way that he was making less money from those things than he is from To The Stars Academy, right? Uh, you know, I just, I think he, um, I think he's crazy. <laughs> did, you see him on Joe, did you see him on Joe Rogan's show? Yes. I, yeah. I refuse to watch that, actually. Brian pointed it to me and... Uh, I don't actually watch the Joe Rogan. I think the two episodes I've watched are the Tom DeLonge one and then the Alex Jones one from early last year. And that's about right. it, I think, in terms of like I listened to the Alex Jones one and I don't know who was crazier, Alex Jones or Tom DeLonge. Right. That's, yeah. Uh, I mean, Ale- I, I, I'm, I'm going to go with Alex Jones. It's yeah, okay. Yeah. You know what? I agree. By, by default. Well, Tom DeLonge on, on, on Joe Rogan had these like weird, like he goes down the rabbit holes, but then he does like poop jokes. Like it's, it's kind of like, hey guys, I'm still like Blink-182 kind of cool. Like there's that weird kind of like switch in, in tone that he uses. So I thought that was very, very bizarre. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know. It's another one of these things. It's just another wrinkle in the whole narrative. And like it, to me, it looks like a... <sighs> putting my conspiracy hat on i it looks like do it it looks like this is just you know a bunch of disinformation crap to try to make this all look as maximally stupid as possible (laughs) um and then on top and then just to like add it you know just to make it even more um I don't know. Like it's it's a great cover because they've got like oh yeah the Pentagon was investigating this and here's some stupid videos of stuff that's like not very good but you yeah know, here it is and oh it's a bombshell. Um, it's a distraction. Like it's a huge. Like it feels like it's just a huge distraction from whatever the hell. Uh, you know it, all all this money that's going into the Department of Defense. You know this is nothing. Yeah, <laughs> this is just nothing. If there was something, wouldn't Trump have blurted it out by now, saying, oh, I've got UFOs yeah, Space back, Force. back home. Yeah, yeah Space, oh, Force. Space Force. Space oh, Force yeah. wasn't, is not the creation of a new thing. It's actually an admission of a program that goes back to the 1960s. Um, no, anyway. <laughs> I think to your point, Zach, though, like, like even the stuff that they bring out, the USS Nimitz videos had been available online for years at that point. It wasn't anything totally. new. And, you know, the only good work, quote unquote, good work I think they've done is sort of like, um, going back on the Atacama skeleton and saying like, unfortunately it is just a very small person. It's not an totally. alien, you know? And so I feel like I definitely like, I lean towards disinfo or misinfo, uh, in terms of what they want to do just based on how they position themselves. Right. So you have Luis Elizondo coming out and he's kind of the de facto spokesperson because Tom DeLong will do Joe Rogan, but Luis will go on coast to coast and talk to that, um, uh, great man, uh, George Norrie and, yeah. uh, sort of like the de facto establishment, a piece of of media i guess in terms of like if you want your word spread out um to that part of the world that's where you go yeah yeah no i mean it's it is what it is i feel like it's 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 not it's not moving things forward in terms of this becoming a serious field of study um and it's yeah it's just a big distraction no they're they're definitely a laughing stock uh, among skeptics for sure yeah, that, that video was, and even among believers, like yeah. nobody, nobody is going for this stuff. Everybody's just kind of like, "Well, shit, what is this?" You know. <laughs> well, here's a question for you then. In that case, like, what would move the needle? What would get people to shift um, mind frames in terms of like seeing the fringe as not the fringe, but as something harder than you know the, the greater human experience? And it's something that Angela and I talk about continually. Is how how do you get people to even just they don't necessarily have to believe, but they have to be open to the idea of talking about these things. Um, something, I mean, hmm. like a literal UFO on the White House lawn, maybe. Yeah. Like, yeah. The day they're still still style. Yes. Um, or, or NASA coming out and saying we spotted something crazy, you know, 
uh, like this is definitely a ship that we took a picture of, <laughs> something yeah. like that, right? Uh, like there's no way this is anything else. Look at it. It's a freaking spaceship. You know, things- <laughs> so have you seen those videos from NASA that seem really compelling of things shooting out of the Earth's atmosphere? Totally. And those yeah. are, those freaked me out when I first saw them on what was it that UFOs evidence revealed thing on Fox? Yeah, there are endless compelling videos of things that we've we've taken pictures of in space. And there's endless compelling stuff of like things on the moon or whatever. Um, you know, it, it's it, it's Talking com- about a, a secret it, astronaut corps on the moon. Well, Space Force. if you want to get weird with it <laughs> or like or like the idea that there there's like towers on the moon or something right. like that. Right. And, and the fact that there's a lot of evidence to suggest that things have been airbrushed out of both yeah. moon photos and space photos and also shit shit right here on Earth. Right. Um, stuff in Antarctica, Antarctica. Like th- it's this is why I tend to believe that something is going on. Some vast conspiracy is going on, right? Well, like, for example, like I think a very prime I- example of this is Buzz Aldrin, Apollo 11. There are missing tapes where he claims to have seen a UFO. Like, and, and so there are cameras that were pointed out yeah. that there's footage missing of these events, right? So like, what's up with that? There's tons of stuff. And honestly, there's tons of evidence. Some, um, some of it, pretty good like you could put it in a court of law and some of it not so good and probably not but like do you know who stan romanek is by the way uh yes the guy who he had videos i believe yes of, yeah. yeah yeah he he was abducted multiple times yes yeah he has a vi- <laughs> he has a documentary on netflix it was terrible mm. yes but they showed the footage and unfortunately he is now in jail for uh, child porn, I think. So not the best example of like a horrible video, but he literally has a home video of a man in an alien suit popping up in his totally. window. I mean, you know, is, and that's, this is the that's whole it. thing. Yeah. And, and, and that's why the whole entire field is a laughing stock, and whoever is pulling the strings on the actual conspiracy is totally getting away with it. Um, <laughs> You know, it, it's so easy to uh, make a laughing stock of the subject. But the fact is, like, there, there's there's a lot of weird stuff and we don't have explanations for it. And like I said, like, I'm stuck on the UFOs and nukes thing. Like, yeah. you know yeah. what I mean? Like, for like me, how do when, these nukes get armed? Like, yeah, for what? Is- like, when I found out about that, I literally, like, stopped researching anything else. And I'm just looking into this and I'm like, how the f- fuck is this not like a history channel documentary why are they doing ancient aliens why the fuck is it not just this all the time he was on cnn once with um larry king yeah they were there was a whole round table of them totally uh, yeah and uh they had i think they had bill nye on there and hastings got really mad at him yeah (laughs) yeah i i think a big thing too is is self-interest right so a lot of people who tend to get into these things like for example like like stan had a web store he had a book like there's always the 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 angle of how do i make money off of people who are also yeah who's arguably the worst yeah uh when you have i mean it's a complicated thing because like you're going to devote your life to this and then then you then ultimately it's like okay but i can't actually just devote my life to this i have to mail make money somehow and that's where things get complicated right um and stephen greer man all right let me just say i actually need to go soon but (laughs) <laughs> I need to talk about Stephen Greer for a second here. Let's do it. Stephen Greer would be the best person in this entire field if he would just let go of the C-SETI shit. 
if you would yes. j- just fucking jettison the C SETI shit out of the thing. And most of what he talks about is super compelling and super interesting. But I think him as a problem is also very problematic too. Like I remember some coast to coast episodes from the nineties where he was playing these like weird voicemail messages of like threats coming his way and like people dying and things. And it was, it felt very grand yep. and like weird and kind of like way too convenient of a story. Totally. Yeah. But I mean, the, 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 it's a, it's a weird dichotomy of he's clearly really a very good researcher. He clear like, like you go and you check on some of the things that he talks about. And it's like, okay, yeah, this is genuinely pretty freaking interesting. Uh, and some of the narratives he spins are like too good. But then you look at like the fact that he claims to be able to go out in the desert, uh, and take people and like, you're going to be able to contact aliens just by using this this tried and true technique. It just costs you a few thousand dollars to come out with me in the middle of the desert. He, and yeah. use some flashlights. If yeah. if he could just drop all that, then all of the things he says would be so much more compelling. Yeah. But then the gravy train stops, right? Totally. And, you know, he can't have that. Yeah, it's it's a me- it's a it's a messy thing. And it, it, he's frustrating because I feel like um, he's done some of the best work in the entire field. But you know, it uh, takes nothing to, <laughs> to destroy the man's credibility. And I think that's, that's true of a lot of people sort of like in this sphere too, that like, while their story may be gripping and there may be some evidence at hand, there's always like that weird factor. In a few years, this could be me. Like I can, like I'm so, you know what I mean? Like, here's the thing. Like I want to make shows about aliens. I want to make shows about paranormal stuff. I'm going to also want to make money doing it. But the second I start doing it and making money doing it, it's like, well, it's I'm I'm delegitimizing it, right? Yeah, you're disingenuous. Yeah, I'm disingenuous, and it's it's a hard problem. But th- this is why, th- this is why the stuff like the UFOs and nukes thing, like the, and and uh, actual like you know eyewitness testimony, endless eyewitness testimony, or like deathbed testimony from certain people. This stuff tends to be the most compelling to me, and also just the overwhelming evidence that NASA's definitely like covered something up. I yeah. think we went to the moon. I, you know, I'm not one of these freaking people, uh, but like, you know, but, but I think that, I think that we found stuff in space. I think we've even probably found stuff on earth that the government has come stepped in and said, yeah, we're just not going to talk about that, you know? And yeah, it seems kind of crazy to think that at this point, cause like we've got cameras everywhere. There's satellites everywhere. So here's my theory about that, right? Is that since we've reverse engineered things, um, they've also made it sure that in the technologies we use, they're impervious to these technologies that we've created. Interesting. <laughs> no, that's that's interesting. Hmm. Yeah, <laughs> which adds a wrinkle to everything, right? Right. Yeah. I have so much stuff I want to talk to you about, but since I feel like we might have to do a part two, where we just we dive. I think deep we on, do like, have to do a part two. Um, cryptids unfo- and ghosts. Um, yeah. No. I, no. We definitely need to get into ghosts because I have some stories for you, but. Oh. Um, this has been fun, guys. Zach, I, this <laughs> has been a pleasure. And so before we forget, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me at Z Saichi on Twitter at Z C I C H Y, because that's you know saying Z Saichi. <laughs> who the hell knows how to spell that? <laughs> um or you can go to the menu.bar and you can find uh all of the past, present, and future episodes of the menu bar. And I hope you become a listener. We hope so too. We thank you uh for being on the show. And uh, it was an honor to be on. I highly recommend the menu bar. Thank you yeah. very much. Yeah. yeah, no, it's been it's been a great time, guys. Cheers. And that's it for us here on episode 76 of Double Density. To all our listeners, tune in next week as we explore the myth and true facts behind Count Chocolate. See everyone soon. See ya. I want to hear that episode. <laughs>